we beat them in the regular season in Chicago because we're Western team. You only play one and one. So we're only in Chicago one time a year. I remember it was March 1st of that year and we beat them quite handily. So we felt pretty good about the matchup. Um, once we beat the jazz, knowing that we were going to play the bulls. Uh, but then Michael just turned it up a notch. Um, everybody can remember the shoulder shrug that was against us. And, um, yeah, our, uh, our, scouting report was basically you know just keep him out of the lane and give him the three and then all of a sudden he started knocking down threes so that was that was pretty hectic yeah so obviously you know you've you know been on teams that have gone farther than this Sixers core has so far you know the Sixers have guys who were you know on the Lakers last year and just just won rings but what advice would you have you know not even just for you know, the stars who haven't quite made it that far yet, but for, for the other guys, the young guys, for, for Maxi, if he gets some minutes and he gets a chance, what, what would you tell them about those big games? Realize that the intensity level is picked up. Um, the referees might let a little bit more go, but more importantly, every game is its own entity. You don't want to be looking at a seven-game seven series as a whole. It can be daunting. It can be intimidating. Um, it could be overwhelming, let's face it, depending on who the opponent is. So to take each game and then value every possession, because I think every possession is going to count when you can run, run. But the most important thing, I think, realizing that the vibe around you is going to be different because it's playoff time. In the NBA, we call it money time. The players do because that's where names and reputations and careers are made. 82 or in this case, 72 are great because they put us in a situation to succeed, the best position to be in in the Eastern Conference. But it's all about moving forward now. Definitely. So you played briefly for the Sixers in 1995. What do you remember most about your time with the team? Well, let's, let's Coach Lucas was the coach. Um, and I got there and it was pretty hectic. They weren't winning. Um, it was the season was wrapping up and I just remember, um, <laughs> I remember some confrontations between guys because let's face it, when you're not succeeding and you're not doing well and you're not doing what you're supposed to be, um, people get upset about it. And I, I think I walked into that. I, I walked into a little bit of that. I remember Greg Graham was there, obviously Dana Barrows. Um, it was a team with Luke that was trying to finish out the season. Um, and figure out who guys were. Sharon Wright was, a, I believe, a rookie. So his rookie year was coming to an end. Um, yeah, I, that's what I recall. I remember a lot of moving parts, and, a, and it was a little bit hectic. So fast-forwarding to when you came back to Philadelphia, what was the process like that ended up with you uh, in the broadcast chair next to Mark Zumoff in 2015? Well, I don't know if you guys know. Some of you may. I, I started off doing college, so for me – um, my college partner was Tom McCarthy, who does the Phillies games. And Tom and I, to this day, are really, really close. And when the job came up, I had not heard about Malik stepping down. But Tom let me know, thankfully. And he said, you know, I don't know if you're interested in this. I think you'd be really good at it. They're looking for somebody. So then I just submitted my name and... Um, went through the process with whoever else. I don't know the quite number, you know, the numbers of how many people applied. I would imagine it was a decent amount because it is Philadelphia. 
Um, and the Sixers have a storied history. So why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? That's how I looked at it. Being a former Sixer, being an East Coast guy, a Jersey guy, um, I know the love um, uh, the 76er fans have for their team. And I was a Dr. J fan growing up. So I remember Mr. Zinkoff with the announcements and the old spectrum uh, getting a chance to play. And that was a trip for me. Uh, so I was well aware of everything and then fortunate enough to go in and audition with Mark, um, not embarrass myself, apparently, and then got to, got asked to do the job. And uh, it all happened quickly because when I got hired, when I was told I was hired, um, I had to come in and do a preseason game that day. So I basically was signing contracts, meeting everybody I was going to work with, including Mark, um, again, for the second time. And then all of a sudden going right across the hall into the arena and calling a game. So it was a busy day, um, but it was, you know, it was a great day that I look back on because my life changed that day for the better. Definitely. Um, one of my favorite things about the games, um, just listening to you and Mark, is when you guys like make each other laugh and you like crack up. I love it so much. You have like such a great rhythm and a chemistry together. Was that hard to develop or was it, did it come pretty naturally with you two? Well, not, listen, I, Mark, Mark is, uh, gets all the credit for that because it was his chair and his booth and I had to come in and he was willing enough and kind enough to share it with me. So it was his environment, his vibe. And I, I think it took a little while. I don't think 10 and 72 helped either um, because there's not a lot of positivity um, in the booth when, when you're looking at a team that's struggling out on the floor. So th I think that kind of may have delayed, um, you know, our chemistry a little bit because there was, there was nothing really, uh, there wasn't a lot to work with there. That was a lot. That, that was a tough year. I remember going six weeks without a win at times. <laughs> That's a long time, you know? Yeah, wow. So, so um, to have him there was such a blessing. And, and I still realize the blessing that I have because he's just so good at what he does that he allows me to be the knucklehead that I am. And yet he still gets to do all the things that he needs to do during a broadcast. But that chemistry came just from getting to know Mark, sitting next to him on a plane, you know, being on buses with him, uh, being in locker rooms with him. Just, yeah, just sharing my life with him over the, over the years, especially over the basketball years. And once you get to know someone and his vibes and his rhythms, um, yeah, I, it becomes a lot easier. I'm an idiot, and he makes room for that, which I appreciate <laughs> very much. <laughs> you know, I was wondering, like, I feel like when we talk, you know, we're obviously all Sixers fans. We're all rooting for the team. But, you know, I try to have, like, some level of objectivity while still obviously rooting for the team. And you have to do that literally every night. How do you come to a balance like that? You know, is that easy for you or is that just kind of something you've always been able to do? It's a great question. It's the same question that my uh, radio boss asked me when I got assigned my first Duke Carolina game on the radio. And he asked me if I could be objective. And I, the same answer I gave him, I'll give to you. Long before I fell in love with Sixers basketball, long before I fell in love with Duke basketball, I fell in love with basketball itself. It was just the game. And for me, even though I was a competitor and obviously biased and one-sided when I was out on the floor, you've seen so much basketball that you know what it's supposed to look like for the most part. 
And so now that I have all that knowledge in my head from playing for one of the greatest coaches ever and him still being in my life and I get to pepper him with questions about analytics and the way the game is played now with the three-point line. So I'm up to date in regards to the game because I've got a wealth of knowledge there in Coach K that I tap into regularly. So for me, it, I love the Sixers. I love Duke. But I also love basketball, and I know what that's supposed to look like. So I have no problem uh, complimenting Nikola Jokic or um, or Russell Westbrook or anybody else we play because we play against the greatest in the world. Um, so for me to have a courtside seat or at times up in the middle of the uh, of the lower section is just a blessing. Like I'm so lucky to be doing what I'm doing, and I realize that any of you and anybody else watch this or see it later would kill to be in my spot so I want to make it fun um and I also when I see something good out there even if it's not in red white and blue I don't have a problem saying it we all know where I come from and where you know where I stand but if Paul George is having a great game or if someone else is you know, absolutely ripping it apart. I have no problem mentioning that too, because it's out there. You'd actually question my objectivity if I didn't mention what you're already clearly seeing on your screen. So you you joined the broadcast in that second year that Joel would miss due to his injury. During that year, were you able to like glean anything about his development? And did you have any idea that this season was coming, this like MVP level season? First of all, I didn't have any idea that this was coming. You obviously hope for improvement. So from where he was, you were hoping for better. He's much better. So that's a great thing. But for me, because of the college background, I remember watching him when he was in Kansas. And Bill Self is a friend. So I've talked to Bill when, from the moment he recruited him to while he was there till after he left. Because Bill was never not really surprised by any of his success. He's got a chance to see him in Lawrence every day and saw the potential, just knew it would take time. Um, and I don't I think he's probably the least surprised of anybody uh, in the basketball world because he knew uh, what Joel was capable of. I think maturity has a lot to do with the way Joel is playing this season. I just think losing a lot and losing in the fashion, let's say the way we did last year, getting swept, that stings. And I think he's a proud guy as well as a talented and skilled guy. And I think you're seeing that pride kick in now. And it's just fun to watch. For me as a big guy, a former big guy, to be calling the Sixers with a 6'10 point guard and a seven-foot stud inside, <laughs> when you think about the rest of the league, I'm a lucky guy because my team, although we shoot threes, we don't cough them up like the other teams do. We actually have inside play. So I feel fortunate in that regard, too. So obviously, you know, playoffs starting Sunday. Um, and the way they do it in the playoffs is they let, you know, they have the, the local guys do the first round and they don't let you do the later rounds. And I mean, as a fan, I kind of hate that you don't get to do the later rounds. I would always prefer. <laughs> would oh, Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I would always prefer to listen to you and Mark. Thank you. How do, you, how do you feel about it? Are you just like happy to get to do the first or you really wish you could do the later ones too? Well, I can tell you this much. Um, because Toronto uh, isn't in the United States and they operate under different TV licensing rules, their crew was able to broadcast all the way through the finals. 
because they don't have an ABC or an ESPN or a TNT up there that takes it away from them. So wow. I know Leo, I know Leo Routon and, the, and um, Paul, Paul Jones, they got to work all the way up until June. And I was envious of them because when I would watch, there they were courtside right next to Drake calling the games, you know, for the Raptors. And I felt a, a little tinge of jealousy. Absolutely. <laughs> so from then on, my stance has been, it used to be before I, I kind of liked the time off. But after seeing them go through it all and knowing that my Sixers may very well take that same path, yeah, I'm a little jealous. And, yeah, I'm definitely going to be missing the second rounds and further, uh, however far the 76ers go. But I can tell you this much, I will be in the building. So there will be that as a consolation prize for sure. As a commentator in, in usual years, you spend a ton of time around the team and, and you get to, I'm sure you get to know a lot of the players. Your first year was that 2015 season, very difficult season. Uh, but a lot of the guys from that team are still in the league somewhere. Uh, one of them is even the GM, which is strange. Uh, there's TJ, there's Nerland, there's Covington, Christian Wood. When you Jakar look at the Samson. League, Jakar, who we might see in the first round, um, Love Jakar. Do you try to keep an eye on those guys who are you might have grown some some level of fondness for, even though the team wasn't so good? And you know, do do you do your best to keep up with their progress? Well, not only that, like some of them I actually still have in contact with. So, for instance, T.J. McConnell is still somebody I keep in contact with. Hollis Thompson is someone that I've reached out to every once in a while. Jeremy no Grant. Way through secondary friends. Here's, here's the reason why I think. I think it's because their family watches the games and they get feedback from their family, especially families of guys who've been around the game. TJ's dad was a coach. Jeremy, of course, his family was in the NBA. So the, the, I think when they hear the broadcast, I'm not trying to kill anybody, you know, especially players, because I was one. I know how hard it is to be out there. Will I be critical? Of course I'll be critical, but I'm not out. I don't have an agenda. So I think having that background and knowing what, you know, what I say about them, I think helps develop a relationship. They, I know where they're coming from. And so when they leave, not all of them, but when they leave, the ones that I've grew close to, the ones that I would see on planes and on buses, and we chat a minute, like a TJ McConnell, who's probably the one I got, I'm the most closest to. Um, yeah, absolutely. I reached out to him when TJ had that triple double a couple of weeks ago, I reached out to him when he had an article in the New York times about him. I reached out to him and sent him the article. Um, yeah, he's a pacer, but he's still my friend. Right. And we talked about basketball. The world of basketball is bigger than just the Sixers. So um, yeah, I don't know if I root against them when they're uh, root for them when they're playing us, but I definitely root for them the other times for sure. And we might see TJ. We very met very, 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 very well. Yes. And then for those two and a half hours, he's the enemy. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, getting to see your friends with the way the pandemic happened this year, you haven't been traveling. The broadcasts have probably been way different. So what was the challenge like this year having to change the way everything runs because of what's going on in the world? That's a great question because it's probably the biggest adjustment Mark and I and everybody that we work with has had to make. Um, first of all, not traveling. B, 
being thousands, sometimes miles away um, from the gym. Um, and not to mention the time zones. I've never done a game at 10 p.m. before because even when we're out west, it's 7 o'clock. So you guys, God love you. I got to feel what it's like to stay up late um, and broadcast at 10 o'clock at night. Not always easy. So God love you for staying up and watching. Um, but then I think the difference is just being being away, having to watch it off of a monitor and not get the feel of the crowd. Um, there's a lot you miss because your peripheral vision in the arena sends you places where you catch things, guys coming out of a timeout, going into a huddle, things that you don't catch on your TV screen uh, through a camera lens. Um, those are the things I miss. And then, of course, the camaraderie, talking to them before a game on a bus or if I'm in the locker room after a game, talking with coaches, talking with players, talking with the assistant coaches, um, trainers, managers. You get vibes and feels off of everybody. When things are going well, you can tell. When things aren't, you can tell. Um, that's all gone now. And I think for me, the thing I'm fortunate about is it's the way I started um, calling games. When I first got gigs in English, it was for NBA TV, and they used to send me the EuroLeague Game of the Week because I was the only guy, having played in Europe, um, who could pronounce the European team's names properly. So they said, we'll stick him in there. And I basically did it from like a closet off of a monitor. They were not going to fly me out to Europe once a week to call those games. So that's how I started. Um, for a while, I didn't know any better until you get into Wells Fargo Center. And let me just tell you something. We're really blessed at Wells Fargo Center when the building's packed. There is no other arena like it in the NBA. The only other one I could imagine was the old Oracle Arena where the Warriors played at. That place used to get pretty heated at times. But on a regular basis, there's nothing like Wells Fargo Center. So I can't wait for more fans to come back and really give us that home court advantage. Definitely. So, you know, there's they're always coming up with rule changes in the league or even just like new points of emphasis. And I know that you and Mark hate the rule where if, you know, you get, if they say there's an air ball and a 24 second violation, you come down with it. You know, you guys always say, you think that you should get to go on the break. But besides that, what is one other rule you would change? Cause I know you want to change that one. What else would you change? Wow. That's a good one. Uh, I would, okay. Whatever rule it would take, I don't have anything specific in mind. I think Adam Silver is on this uh, for the most part. But whatever rule would make the game quicker or combination of rules, I think there should be a limit on reviewing time. You know, when you're going to review a play, I don't know if after we've discussed it, we see with C caucus two times that we need to continue watching replays. I think that can be cleaned up a little bit because what I'm concerned with as a team that likes to run, especially at home, is you killing our momentum. You know, we need the 76ers need, like all teams, need to play in a rhythm. And if we're going to sit there and you've heard me on, you know, on the broadcast, I'll say, oh, good. Let's take a look at this again in a sarcastic dry way. But I'm really I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the time that it's wasting. So I think that would be where my attention would go as far as um, new rules and regulations. Going to this year's team, um, they have made such a giant improvement from last year. Uh, and there have been a lot of moving pieces. There's been internal improvements. There's a coaching change. 
if you had to choose one of these people to be most responsible for the uptick in the play and for being the first seed in the Eastern Conference, Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers, or Daryl Morey, who would you say is most responsible? Wow. It's, it's hard to say most because it'd probably be like, you know, 34, 32, 33. You know what I mean? Like, exactly, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to, by saying it, I don't want to like leave anybody out, but I, you, you'd have to say Daryl, right? Because mm -hmm. Daryl is the one that first came in that brought in Doc. And then I think Daryl's also the one that's changed the way the Sixers look out on the floor the most by bringing in Seth Curry and Danny Green. And I think Joel will tell you, you know, the court looks different to him now. Ben yeah. will tell you the court's different now. There's more room because guys have to respect Seth and Danny's three-point shooting, which has allowed Joel to basically go one-on-one -on -one for the whole season. And that has a lot to do with him and the way he's been absolutely killing this year because there's nobody, practically nobody except for Steven Adams that can contend with him physically. So one-on-one, -on -one, right. it's a joke. So the idea that I think Darren will probably get to 34% with Doc, mm -hmm. you know, because accountability and order and yeah. the play calling and just the overall atmosphere, you know, is just different. You know, it's, it is, it's just, and I'm not around him as much. So I'm, you know, I, it's more of a perception from afar, but it just feels different than in years past. Um, and again, no knock on anybody else. It's just a different person um, doing a different job, having different results. That's the bottom line. Um, so, and then, yeah, and then Joel getting the benefit from all of the work that a guy like Daryl and then a guy like um, Doc have been able to you know, implement. And yeah, so Joel too, for sure. But I think he's the beneficiary of the hard work that the other two um, have put in. And, and you mentioned that atmosphere. And last year you were close to the team. Could you, because from afar, it did seem like things were off. But from up close, did it feel that way too? Or is it just like after seeing how good it's been this year, you look back and we're like, oh, it was off. Or was it at the time, like something's wrong here? Um, it didn't feel like anything was wrong. Like no, there was no house on fire feeling last year. No, I just think the problem last year was Ben was out. You know, I think if, if anything this year and Ben's, the most recent absence with the four games and us losing I think it, it you know it's put into perspective how important he is um to have him out there if last year's playoffs didn't already do that for you you know what I mean because I already knew it from last year you don't have your 610 point guard who does so much for you and is so much having talked to other coaches in the league you guys here on the broadcast I'm friends with coaches all over the place Nick Nurse um, is probably my closest friend, you know, him being a champion um, up in Toronto. And when you talk to Nick about how they prepare for Ben, it's a lot, you know, like you wouldn't imagine um, because here's a guy who doesn't give you 30 points a game, you know, he's not killing it in the scoreboard, but having a guy who does what he does, especially defensively. And then when he does have the ball in his hand poses a lot of questions that coaches have to answer. So um, we need all of them. Uh, to play well. And, uh, you know, I hope that answers your question. You mentioned uh, the Wells Fargo Center and the Fishers have been incredible at home, you know, in a way that no other team in the league is. And I was wondering if you have any insight as to why you think 
that is? Is there something particular about the fan base or the building, or is it you and Mark? Like, what do you think is the reason that, that the Sixers have this giant disparity of, of beating teams at home? Let's give it all to Mark, man, because yeah, there I, you think go. It, I think it's Mark. Like, who okay, kidding, cool. Right? 27 question. years, who else could it be? Right. Um, <laughs> no, I think, listen, I think it's a, combi- a, a combination of, of things, right? Because the Spectrum was a, was a tough place to play, too. But I remember when I was a Trailblazer, the team we were playing against, which was still pretty good, um, wasn't, you know, an upper echelon team. They were a good team, a mid-range conference team, but they were an elite team. So the combination of, I think, being a good team and then that fan base now and that building, I don't know what, what it is about the, the acoustics in that building, but there are times throughout the last six years when I'm, I'm in the booth and I can see with my eyes the place erupting, you know, hands up in the air after, you know, a JJ Reddick three or something and everybody in unison getting up. And then, you know, if we're going to commercial because of a timeout, usually we just lay out and let the crowd, you know, take us to commercial. And at that point, when I know nothing is expected of me, I'll take my headsets off because I want to take it in too. And I do it in every building. And nothing sounds like the Wells Fargo set. So it's like a jet plane taking off. Wow. You know, that yeah. roar. Soon as I take it on, it's a roar. And it's like, wow. Yeah, I would. And my next thought is I'd hate to be the visiting team. It like took me aback. I'm just so excited to get into the building for the playoffs. I'm like, I want, I want it. I want to be a part of it. I'm so excited. So I can't wait. speaking of the playoffs, how important do you think it is for the Sixers to take care of business pretty quickly in the first and second round? If we're projecting them as most people, a lot of people are to make it to the Eastern conference finals. Well, anytime you can give yourself a break, you know how we talk about during the regular season, when, when the Sixers would have a big lead at the end of the third, you never wanted to see the starters come back. You got to do your work. So I think the 76ers, if they do their work, can dispatch with the eight seed, whoever it may be, because on paper, they're that much better than them. And if you look at it, unless it's Indiana, everyone else we've gone 3-0 and against. So we should be okay, whoever that eight seed is. We should take care of our business, give ourselves a break. Here's the thing that I worry about, though. We talked about it before we first came on, a week off. The teams that are the, the 76ers are going to ha- wind up facing would not have had a week off, and they'll be in rhythm, so to speak. The Sixers with the week off, I'm not saying that it'll happen because we don't know what's going to happen, but they might be a little rusty not having played for a long time. So expect the first maybe quarter, quarter and a half to be a little bit of, you know, messing around in the mud because they haven't really had live action in a while. Um but I think that'll iron itself out throughout the course of the first game. But just look for that because this team, whoever the 76ers face, is going to be playing. They might be playing tonight, as a matter of fact. And they'll be a little bit more in rhythm than uh, the 76ers having had a week off. But I don't think it's too much. You know, it'll be too much to overcome. And who would you say was the biggest surprise this year on the Sixers? Just, I mean, we talked about Joel and you didn't see exactly this coming, but, you know, maybe it's not him. Who do you think has been the biggest surprise? 
Um, well, I think Tobias and 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 the way he's played made like you know like he's shown me more. You know, like last year, it was if he didn't score off the dribble or hit the three, he basically, you know, kind of like went quiet. Now he's a better defender. Um, now, and I think part of it has to do with playing, you know, under Doc, a guy he's played under before and played well under before when he was in L.A. Um, I think that helps. Um, so I would say, even though, you know, he's our highest paid guy and he's, you know, he gets all the, 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 the I guess, attention along with Joel and Ben, Tobias at his stage in his career, able to show me more in his game, I think is what surprises me. The fact that Matisse Thibel can have such an impact um, on the court in a short period of time, that Chicago game where he came in off the bench and got a deflection in a steal in the first play. No one does that. That's not normal. That is alien type behavior out on the floor. <laughs> and so, you know, he's just been a pleasure to watch defend, you know, like I, I, I hate to say it cause I don't want to shortchange him, but he gives you so much defensively that I almost really don't care about the three. I want him to shoot the three and knock it down, but he gives you so much that it's not an either or. You still get a lot from it defensively, even if the shots aren't falling. Um, we want to get you out of here, but finally, one last question. Uh, how confident are you in the Sixers' ability to win it all this year? I'm, I'm as confident as I've ever been. This, yeah. I mean, like, in my bones, I really think we got a chance. And I don't say that lightly because – um, I don't overreact to basketball, you know, like I, I, I've, I've been, we've all seen a lot of games. We've all seen situations. Um, I'm also of the thought, well, show it to me, you know, like, you know, sh show me before I, you know, I, you know, lose my mind, so to speak. But at the same time, um, man, are we well equipped? Uh, we, we've got, you know, an excellent defense. If the shots aren't falling, the shots fall a lot better than they've ever had before. The court for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons is more spacious than it's ever been before. I just think the key is I'm reminded of what Daryl Morey said to us when we first sat down with him um, at the beginning of the season, our first Zoom call with him. He said, bottom line is our best three have to play well. So that's what I'm looking for. You know, Ben, Joel, Tobias leading the way with the other guys on given nights stepping up because they either got it hot or, you know, offensively or got it rolling defensively um, guys like Furkan, you know, guys coming off the bench that may just get it going for two, three games in the series. That's what, what you need at times. So do I think he'll use 11 guys? Yes. Not each night though. Um, but I think certain nights, certain matchups, he'll call on a guy that he might not use in another series or in another matchup. That's the, the great thing we have. Um, with the depth we have. I think Dwight Howard is a huge addition. You know, again, credit to Daryl Morey for that. We don't want to overlook that because he's the best backup the 76ers have had with Joel being here. Um, and that matters because there's going to be certain nights when things don't go your way. So again, options. Options are what you need. Depth. We've got it all. Let's play some basketball. Uh, Ala, we cannot thank you enough for doing this, uh, for being with us. We are giant fans of your work and you sound like Thank one you. of us on the air and uh <laughs> so i am one of you guys up. i'm a north jersey i'm a north northeast guy you're one of us 
Listen, uh, thank you so I, much. From, from the first day I got this job, I was aware of you guys and what you're doing. And I can tell you that not a lot of teams have the numbers, the uh, passion, the uh, verb, the verb for it. So just here from me to you, I don't have my job without people like you guys. So thank you very, very much. And go Sixers. Go Sixers. Thank you for being with us. Best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you. You as well. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Allah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. See ya. Oh, yeah, baby, I love you so.